you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 to 35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, picture the scene. You get a phone call from your friend saying, oh, won't you come over? We're having a dinner party. And you think, great, I'll come. As you're talking to them, you ask them, oh, so who else is coming? Oh, look, just a bunch of people. You know most of them, maybe one or two you don't. And then you get there and you're sitting down at the table and you realise that you just happen to be sitting next to the only other single person in the room. And what you thought was just a a nice evening that your friend were inviting you to is actually the set of a dating game. They've got this fantasy about running their own reality TV show and you're essentially the audition. You're the person, you're their project. They want to stop you being single and make sure that you get your love. I think it can be pretty hard being a single person in the church. Often it's almost seen as if singleness is, uh, that means that you're incomplete and somehow perhaps even invalid. Vaughan Roberts writes, a friend of mine once belonged to a young adult church group called Pairs and Spares. He continues, single people can be made to feel like spare parts in their families, their social groups and their churches. In fact, some of the books about singleness can feel pretty patronising and condescending. Now, one book is called Not Yet Married, as if the whole purpose of reading this book is to get married. Uh, some other books are even more explicit. There's a book out there called Getting Serious About Getting Married. It's got this tasty little quote, Satan dishonours marriage by fooling us into believing that singleness is okay. <laughs> and yet in the Bible... Singleness is often presented as a good thing. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul writes, verse 8, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul saying, look, I'm single and I wish more people were. So today I want to talk about this. 1 Corinthians 7 is a long chapter that discusses marriage and singleness. Last week we focused on marriage. This week I want to talk about singleness. And I think Paul is uniquely placed to speak on these things. You see, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, he was single, but he probably wasn't always single. 
Before Paul was converted, he was a very faithful and devout Jew. And we know that the Jews placed an almost moral value on marriage. Uh, the Jewish rabbis essentially legislated against singleness. Uh, one rabbi said, any man who has no wife is no proper man. Uh, the Talmud, which was a collection of some of their teachings, said, the man who is not married at 20 is living in sin. Now, we know that Paul is a very conscientious Jew, and so it's very likely that he would have gotten married. We don't know what happened if he did. Perhaps his wife died, or perhaps his wife even left him after he converted to following Jesus. Either way, it's fairly likely that he was married, but now he is single, and he wants to celebrate this. He wants help to help people see the value of this, the possibility of this. So I want to explore that with us today. I want to talk about three things, the, the challenges of singleness, which are there, the opportunities of singleness, and God's provision in singleness. Or to put it another way, why it's hard, how it can be rewarding, and what God offers along the way. First of all, why it can be hard. Human beings need relationships of some kind. When we read the Genesis story, we see God's plan for humanity and how he has wired us for relationships. Genesis 1 describes a good creation, verse 3 and 4, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And this refrain repeats itself throughout the passage. God makes the earth and the seas, and God saw that it was good. God makes plants and trees, and God saw that it was good, and so on. It was good, it was good. All building towards verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so it's with a, a jolt that we read Genesis 2 verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. In the midst of everything that's good and very good, there is something not good. It is not good for the man, Adam, to be alone. And so God gives him a wife. God makes Eve. And then at the end of Genesis 2, we get this beautiful picture of marriage, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's a beautiful picture. It's a profound picture. And it also shows us why it is difficult not to have that. First of all, it's difficult because you don't have the physical intimacy of marriage. As we saw last week, the marriage union is symbolized and solidified through sex, the coming together of two people, the making of one flesh. And it can be difficult to not have that. Indeed, for some people, Paul suggests this is a kind of a deal breaker and it makes singleness just untenable. Uh, in verse 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 7, he writes, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But it's not just a, a sexual thing. This is an intimacy thing. One of the saddest things I've, I've ever heard, really, was a single friend of mine, a bloke, talking about how little physical contact he had. I'm not talking about anything sexual here. I just mean the touch of a friend, a hug, even a handshake. It's a very simple thing, but it was a really profound thing for him. And it's something that married people might just take for granted. And yet this bloke, this friend of mine said that he could go months without any real physical contact with another person. Uh, just think about this season. 
during the lockdown. There are people in our church who have not had someone hold them for months. That's very, very hard. That's very, very difficult. So the physical intimacy is one of the things that a single person won't get to have in the same way as a married person. One of the other things is uh, they might not have the same emotional intimacy. We're told that Adam and Eve were both naked and were not ashamed. They had this physical oneness that it spoke to uh, a deeper emotional oneness. Uh, that's what makes the physical possible, but also the physical strengthens that, deepens that bond. They, they know each other completely and they trust each other. There's something beautiful about that. There's an emotional nakedness and we all want someone who, who provides us with this, who really knows us and loves us. Someone who listens to you, someone who listens to your thoughts, your ideas, appreciates your passions, can put up with your eccentricities. Is Someone like this becomes like home for you. When you go into the unknown, a party or a wedding, you, you've got this person next to you and so you're home. If you're traveling, you go together because you want to experience all of this together. If you're watching TV and, and seeing something interesting, they're the person you share it with. When you have a sin to confront and deal with, they're there to help you do that. When a pandemic locks your entire society down, you have someone to keep you company. They are your life partner and you live life together in sickness and in health in good times and bad, in poverty and riches, for better or worse, till death do you part. It's going to be really hard if you don't have that. A single person may have friends who provide some of that, but probably not all of that, not someone that close. Lisa Anderson writes, I have no life partner with whom to dream about the future or shoulder the burdens of today. In short, I'm no one's most important person. That's a hard thing. But the challenges of singleness come not just from what you don't get, but from what you aren't able to give. I often hear this when I talk to single person. They, they speak about how they would just love to be married because they would love to love someone, to care for someone, to look after them and to, to, to give their love to. They often talk about how much they wish they could start a family. You know, they just desperately want to have kids. They, they love the children in their life, their nephews, their nieces, the children of their friends, but they always have to return those children. They want some of their own, someone that they can invest in. And I suspect that it's this, this desire to give love that creates perhaps the biggest challenge for single people, this a sense of doubt and even resentment towards God. I mean, you want to love and serve others. That's a good thing. So why won't God give you the chance to do that? And what's he doing to look after you? He, he says in Genesis that it's not good to be alone. So why would he leave you alone? And these questions, these doubts, these frustrations, uh, perhaps they're almost made worse when someone brings up the whole topic of the gift of singleness. I'm sure you've heard about this. In 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul suggests that singleness can be a gift. Verse 7, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. There's been a lot of debate about this. The the ancient Greek word translated gift here is charismata, the same word used for spiritual gifts. And so it's 
often thought that Paul is describing a unique spiritual ability given to some people so that they're able to be single. Uh, Barry Danilek, uh, who's written a book on singleness, writes this. He defines the gift of singleness as a spirit-enabled freedom to serve the king and the kingdom wholeheartedly without undue distraction for the longings of sexual intimacy, marriage, and family. The definition does not imply that those with the gift of singleness are asexual individuals with no interest in marriage or family life, but it is suggesting, he says, that they experience a genuine freedom that allows them to serve God with a whole heart, irrespective of whether they ever experience the fulfillment of marital intimacy and family life. Others, however, suggest that it's not so much a spiritual gift, but a gift of circumstance. So Vaughan Roberts writes, when, when Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, he isn't speaking of a particular ability some people have to be contentedly single. Rather, he's speaking of the state of being single. And this should reframe how we view it. Roberts goes on, as long as you have it or singleness, it's a gift from God, just as marriage will be God's gift if you ever receive it. And so he concludes, we should receive our situation in life, whether it is singleness or marriage, as a gift of God's grace to us. Now, I'm not sure which is right, but both invite us to see some of the opportunities of singleness. That's clearly what Paul sees. He wants everyone to be single. Now, what does he see in this? What are the opportunities? Well, how can it be rewarding? I think the answer comes in our Bible reading. Now, verse 32, Paul writes, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul seems to be saying that a single person can have undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're married, Paul says, your interests are divided. You serve God, but you must also serve your spouse. The man must please his wife, verse 33, and the woman must please her husband, verse 34. This means that a married person is anxious about worldly things, he writes, whereas a single person is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, verse 34. They're able to focus on God. That's the key thing that Paul wants to say here, I think. Uh, a single woman once was sharing her experience with me, and she was saying how she feels like being single has helped her focus on God, helped her relationship with God. God has become her first port of call in every circumstance. No matter what she's going through, good or bad, she turns to him. And she feels like being single has helped her to do this. She, she suspects that having a husband might distract her from this or put something in the way. Now, of course, it's, it's not wrong to find comfort from a spouse, and a godly spouse will be part of God's blessing and direction. But this woman had found great strength in going direct to God. And as someone develops this kind of intimacy with God, they, they grow in their faithfulness, their fruitfulness, and their ability to bless others. Uh, that phrase, undivided devotion to the Lord, is, is a really interesting one. Uh, Barry Denelik explains that the Greek word here means something like constant service. 
and stems from the idea of a servant sitting beside their master, ready and waiting to serve. The picture here is the single person has this kind of freedom to just attend to God. This is easier, maybe not easier necessarily, but it is the the role that the single person can have, that they're able to do whatever God calls them to do, wherever that takes you, whenever that might be, to serve uh, lots of people and to serve with a generosity. And this is an extraordinary opportunity. Marshall Segal writes this, one of your greatest spiritual gifts as a single person is your yes. Yes to a random phone conversation. Yes to coffee. Yes to help with the move. Yes to stepping in when someone's sick. Yes to a late night movie at us or the special event downtown. You have the unbelievable freedom, he writes, to say yes when married people can't even ask the question. And so perhaps that's why so many of the great missionaries and church leaders through the ages have been single. There's numerous figures in the Bible, the prophets, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha. Uh, There's John the Baptist, there's Paul, and there's Jesus. Then in the early church, we read of Augustine, Francis of Assisi. There's reformers, Martin Luther eventually married, but he was single when he nailed the 95 Theses to kickstart the Protestant Reformation. You also think of the, the missionary women of the 19th century which exploded. In 1861, there was one female missionary in Burma. 45, 48 years later, there were almost 5,000 unmarried women on the mission field. In the 20th century, we've seen people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian. C.S. Lewis was single for all but five years of his life. John Stott, the evangelical preacher and leader and writer who was voted uh, one of Time magazine's 100 most influential people at the age of 85. In our own day, in our own context, I can think of Vaughan Roberts, who I've quoted already, Sam Alberry, Peter Adam, Reese Bazan, people who I know personally have had a tremendous influence uh, as single people. Uh, often people like this have seen singleness as a gift and they've sought to use this opportunity to serve others. So Rena Taylor, who's written the book Single and Whole, writes this, being single has meant that I'm free to take risks that I might not take were I a mother of a family dependent on me. Being single has given me freedom to move around the world without having to pack up a household first. And this freedom has brought to me moments that I would not trade for anything this side of eternity. So there are opportunities in this. And yet I don't want to diminish the fact that there's challenges. So I want to conclude by thinking about how God provides for the single person along the way, what God's vision is for this and how this works. See, Genesis 2.18 does say that it's not good for us to be alone, but I suspect that God's remedy for aloneness is not just marriage. He also offers the family of God, the church. In his book on singleness, Marshall Segal uh, highlights some of the features of Christian community that we see in the New Testament. Things like brotherly affection, comfort, honesty, truth, forgiveness, guidance and correction, protection, prayer, hospitality. These are the kind of things that we might look for in marriage, 
But we can also find some of these within the Christian community. Now, Segal writes, if we are part of this family, we are not single. We might not be married, but we are planted in an everlasting community and therefore surrounded with lasting love, affection, security, and a thousand other relational benefits. Even some sense of the joy of parenting. I said earlier that one of the greatest challenges for a single person is the inability to to have a child of their own, to be a parent. But I think God wants us to see that the family of God is such a real thing, such a strong thing, that even this comes within the reach of the single person. That's how Paul saw it. Barry Danilek, who I've quoted a few times, points to the incredibly intimate language that Paul uses as he speaks about the church. He speaks of individuals, my child, Onesimus, whose father I became. He addresses both Timothy and Titus as my true true child in the faith. He addresses the Galatian church as my little children. With the Corinthians themselves, he says, you're my beloved children, who he became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He uses parental language with the Thessalonians as well. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul reminds them how he, how we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Then a few verses later, he explains how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so Danilek concludes, did Paul have children of his own? Lots of them. Timothy, Titus, and Onesimus, to name a few, and whole churches of followers of Jesus Christ. And so he writes, we too, like Paul, are called to be spiritual parents, not only in begetting children through the gospel, but in raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord until they too are mature disciples. And I suspect that it's in this family that a single person can experience and express the gospel. This is really the goal for all people. Um, From what I see in scripture, marriage is a kind of gospel parable. And often when um, I speak with couples who are preparing to get married, I talk about how they get to declare the gospel through their marriage, that they get to show in the cycle of love and respect what it looks like for God to serve us and care for us and what it looks like for us to faithfully trust him. And so we sit down with them and we pray that people will become Christians through their marriage. Because within marriage, we see the depth of God's love, how it focuses on us and, and gives us a covenant love that we can be secure in. This is a wonderful thing. But what does it look like for a single person? How do they get to declare the gospel in their relationships? Well, let me suggest that if a marriage demonstrates the depth and the focus of God's love, then I think a single person expresses the breadth of God's love, how it reaches out to all kinds of people, how it embraces lots of different people, how it it, it sacrifices and serves all kinds of people, bringing them into the life of the church and experiencing that. A single person should experience the family of God as we serve and love them and then they can express what it is to be part of the family of God as they embrace others. Stanley Grins writes this, Marriage expresses the divine will to form a close community of fellowship on the basis of exclusive love and fidelity to a covenant. The single life represents the expansive nature of the divine love 
that seeks to encompass all of humanity in the relationship of community. How about we pray? Father God, we want to thank you that you're our Father and that we get to be brothers and sisters together. Some of us are married, some of us are single. Help us to honour and respect and love each other. Lord, I pray for the single people in our church. We recognise the challenges that they face. We also acknowledge the opportunities that are before them. Lord, I pray that they might know your provision along this way, that they might know with us that they are part of the family of God, that we love and serve and care for them, not in any way that is patronising and not in any way that suggests that marriage is so much better than what they have or anything like that, Lord, but we honour and recognise how you have placed us. Lord, I pray that we might all experience and express the love of God, the gospel of Jesus in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless City on the Hill West. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.